a couple of weeks ago when we had our AGM, we talked about our vision for next year and what it looks like. And we, we mentioned that we're wanting next year to actually pursue what it looks like to be a revolution of love. Not just having it as a slogan, you know, not just having it as a tagline underneath our logo, even though it looks really cool up there. But what does it mean? What does it look like? What, what are the possibilities if we as a people, we as a community live as a revolution of love? And we, we teased that out at the AGM and we talked about, you know, we want to practice the ways of Jesus. What does that look like? We want to practice the thing that Jesus did, you know, whether it be prayer for, for healing or, or Sabbath or quiet time or community, living uh, in community, in deep community with his disciples. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of that next year. But one of the key things, one of the precursors, I guess, of being a revolution of love is that we need to be a people that live by the leading and the guiding of his spirit and not by the ability that we have to live in our carnal minds. And so today I actually want to talk to you about living by his spirit, living by the spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians, going to go to Philippians chapter three. That's where we're starting. We're going to pick it up in verse one and we're going to read most of this chapter, which is going to be pretty cool. Just before I start reading, a couple of things to know. So Paul has written this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's written this letter when he is in prison. There's arguments over whether he was in prison in Rome or he was in prison in Ephesus. But he's written this letter to the church in Philippi to exhort them to humility, to exhort them to live together in unity, and to exhort them to live by the Spirit. And so the book of Philippians is an amazing book, but I want to specifically look at chapter three, where it's an exhortation to the body of Philippi to not live by earthly wisdom, to not live by their earthly minds, but to live by the spirit of God. And so in verse one, it says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's addressing right here in the, in the church in Philippi something that was being brought to him by the messenger Ephroditeus. Apologies to those who can speak Greek words really well. But Ephroditeus has brought him a message bringing a report on the church of Philippi. And right here, Paul is telling them he is exhorting them to be aware of to beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. He's talking about the people who are trying to make them live by the old Jewish law. And so he says, verse four, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted loss for Christ. So right here, Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, hey, if you want to follow the law, if you want to know the who's who and what to do and everything like that, I've done it all. 
I was near perfect as a Pharisee. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was circumcised. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul here is playing the ultimate trump card saying, if you want to be a good follower of the law, I've done it all. I was the best. I persecuted the church. I was the top dog. But what things were to gain me, these things I've counted loss for Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, so that I may gain in Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but that I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. In verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it so clear here in this verse that he's tried it all, that he's tried works, that he's tried the law, that he was perfected in the law in his ability to follow what was written, to follow what all the Pharisees follow. He was perfected in it. Yet it was to gain him nothing, and he suffered all loss to gain in Christ. Let's flip to Corinthians chapter 1. It's so nice to hear the pages turning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. So similar thing. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a city, and I've, I've talked about Corinth as a city before, but it was a pretty messed up place. It was a port. There were a lot of temples to other gods and goddesses. It was a city of pleasure. It was a city where people came to escape, to have an experience. And so Paul's writing this letter to a church that is starting to waver a little bit and the culture of the world is starting to seep into the culture of the church. And in verse 18, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth and we'll pick it up here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Think about that for a second. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it is a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If you read verse 21 really quickly, you miss what it says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to those who believe. Again, we see Paul here addressing a church, addressing them and saying, back when the Israelites were in the desert and Moses was at Mount Sinai, God gave Israel the law. He gave them the way to live, the way to sacrifice, the way to worship, the way to exist in communion with God. He told them how to build a tabernacle, how to build the Ark of the Covenant, what to do to make yourself clean, how to come before the Lord, how to see his presence. He even showed up in a a cloud by day and a fire by night. God gave them wisdom beyond their understanding to facilitate a relationship with him. And through that wisdom, because of that wisdom, the Jews did not know God. They didn't know God. Paul's exhortation to the people of Corinthians, it sounds funny because it uses the word foolishness, but to them it seemed foolish because the cross of Christ, the simplicity of of preaching Christ crucified seemed foolish to the Jews. But it is essential for the everyday believer, for the disciples, for the apostles of that time, it is essential that Christ crucified is preached. It is The cross is the power of God unto men, it says here. Paul makes it so clear and simple. Life by the Spirit. Life by preaching the cross, the crucified power of God. Life not by the works or the wisdom of the law or the works of man, but life by his spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Do you guys see a picture that's being painted here? I'm trying to make this as clear and as simple as possible. Life by the Spirit, not needed in the wisdom of man, not needed in the works of the gospel, not needed by by knowledge or by power, but but the, the simplicity of the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 8. Buckle up because we're about to read the whole thing. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned the sin in the flesh that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it it is not subject to the law or God, nor indeed can be. So then those that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to not live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. Salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. Salvation isn't the end of your journey with Christ. It is the beginning. Salvation is the beginning of our journey of our life with Christ. It is the beginning. It is the moment that we receive the sonship, the adoption that it says here in verse 15. The moment that we choose to accept Christ, our body, our mortal body, our carnal mind is crucified on the cross with him and arises in that by his spirit is life in the spirit, life for the spirit through his righteousness, through Christ's justification. Salvation is not the end. It's not just a ticket. It's the beginning. If we want to be a people that are a revolution of love, we can't sit back and think that it's going to happen just because we're saved. Newsflash, it's not going to work. If we want to be a people that live out this slogan, that are convicted in in belief that we are called to be a revolution of love, it's not going to happen by just being saved. It'll happen when we choose to live by the Spirit, when we choose to not think or to not act out of our carnal mind, but to act and to live and to follow His Spirit. I feel like this is a verse that I've said so many times over the last six months, but I'm going to say it again 
Jesus was an amazing example of what it means to live by the Spirit of God. On multiple occasions in the Gospels, it is recorded that Christ has said to his disciples, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. I'll only go where my Father leads me. And as it says in Matthew, if we choose to accept the invitation of Christ as our salvation, which we all have, if we choose to accept that invitation, we have a further invitation to accept his yoke, to accept his ways, to accept who Christ is and to live out of that. I preached a message probably six weeks ago now talking about the yoke of Christ and talking about how in Matthew, I think it's in chapter five or six, where it talks about, come to me, all you who heavy burdened and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word yoke means to take on the ways of the rabbi, to take on the ways of Jesus. If we choose to accept Christ, which we all have, if we experience salvation, then we have a right to experience and to live from his yoke. What does that mean to live from his yoke, to live from his ways? It means that we have to live by the spirit to do what God does, to say what we hear God saying and to act on what he commands us to do, what his will is for us to do. No more, no less. Life by his spirit. I used to think when I was younger, I had this this weird thought in my mind and it was twisted. I don't think it anymore, thank God. But I used to think that because I have a relationship with God, and myself, I'm saved and I've received his spirit and I live by his spirit, that my knowledge, that my encounter, that my experience of who God was, was to serve my life, my dreams, my hopes, my visions. That I would know God and by me knowing God more, by worshiping God more, by praying to God more, it, it would serve me more. It would make my life better. It does make your life better. But our knowledge, our experience, our encounter with Christ is not for the service of our lives, but it's for the advancement of his kingdom. It's not for the service of our lives. It's for the advancement of his kingdom. We've been adopted into a family where we get to cry out, Abba, Father. We've been adopted into a family of resurrection life. We've been adopted into a family where the crucifixion of Christ on the cross was enough for me. It was enough for you. It's enough for us. To be a revolution of love to be a people convicted of that belief. We have to first live by his spirit, be led by his spirit, be so devoted to the leading and to the will of God in our lives. It's costly. It's easier said than done a lot of the times. We all work jobs. We all have life. You know, our lives are quite full. One of the beautiful things of 
COVID-19 has been that our lives experienced a real stripping back and we experienced rest and time with our families and all kinds of stuff. And we worked from home and quality of life improved, even though, you know, we were locked away. Our lives are full, no matter what, whether COVID's happening or not, our lives are busy. But are our lives too busy for God to fit in? Are our lives too full that there's no space left in the picture for God, for his will, for his leading and guiding? As we move into this new season and as we move into 2021 and physical church and practicing the ways of Jesus and becoming a revolution of love, we don't want our schedules to become so full that we're just doing. This isn't about doing more. We want to create space for us to personally encounter the presence of the living God. But we also want to create space in our lives for us to be able to be an encounter for someone to experience the presence of the living God. What about my job? You know, I, what about my sport? What about this? What about that? There, there are so many opportunities that we have to speak and to believe that there are things that fill up our time. There are so many things in life that can just fill up our time. What are we going to let go of as we step into this new season that allows us to live by his spirit, to live by the leading and the guiding of his spirit as we are called to? It's time for us to move again. It's time for us to become mobile. It's not time for us to to sit back and to relax and to, you know, just let life happen to us. It's time for us to pick up the pieces and begin moving and begin placing them. But it's not by our strength. It's not by our might. It's, It's not by our own doing. It has to be by the Spirit of God. It has to be by the leading of God. Each and every one of us in majority of the areas of life that we have, whether it be family, friends, work, hobbies, whatever it may be, we all have an opportunity to create space to lead people to encounter and to know God. to provide people with an invitation, whether it be as little as a seed of, hey man, Jesus loves you, or as amazing as leading someone uh, in in a prayer of repentance and acceptance of Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let us create space for God. Let us create space in our lives that allows us to live by his spirit.
and the assurance we have is of amazing victory. We step out and we live by his spirit and we experience life knowing that we have victory in Christ. The work is finished. The work is done. In verse 38, this is one of my favorite verses, verses 38 and 39 in Romans chapter 8. Two of my favorite verses. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities or powers, nor things present, nothing to come, no height, no depth, nothing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I read that, my insides jump a million miles in the air. When I read that, I feel both inspired and convicted because I don't live every day of my life believing that. We should be living every days of our lives believing that. If we're going to be a revolution of love, if it's going to become more than just a slogan for us as a body, for us as a people, we have to be convinced that life by the Spirit isn't just for the service of ourselves, but it is for the service and the advancement of the kingdom. Are we actually going to believe verses 38 and 39? Are we going to live convinced that there is nothing, 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 nothing that can separate us from the love of God and not just us, but separate the people on this earth from the love of God? Nothing can separate them. Life by his spirit isn't for our service. It's for the advancement of his kingdom. And if it's a time for us to move as a body, if it's a time for us to become a revolution of love, the revolution has to start from this. It has to start from his spirit. It will fail if it is not by his spirit. It will fail. But it will be victorious. It will sustain. It will bring impact and transformation and change to people's lives. Your life, my life, the lives of those around us. If it is by his spirit. If it is by his spirit. Are we going to be convinced Are we going to be a people that are convicted to follow and to live this verse? I want you to actually just think about that for a second because I don't want to just shout willy-nilly. I don't want to just declare this willy-nilly and pray it over you if if it's not going to mean anything. I'd rather you not pray it and not say it with me if you're not ready to say it. As I said before, there is a cost to this. 
it requires something of you. It requires something of me. So just stop for a moment and think about that. Are you willing to say yes to the entirety of what it means to live life by his spirit? Because I know I am. And I would love for us to be a people that are too. It's not going to happen if there's just a handful of us that are willing to say yes. It's not going to happen just because of my ability or Kelly's ability or Dan's ability to say yes to this. This isn't about the, the greater good for the kingdom of Catalyst. This is about the greater good for the kingdom of God. We're not building Catalyst's kingdom. Sure, Catalyst will grow and we'll experience change and transformation. We can't think about it. We can't live by it if we're thinking about it serving us. It is not about serving us. It is about serving the advancement of the kingdom of God. Repeat this back after me. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, nothing that has ever been created shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God, would you help us to believe God, would you lead us to believe? God, would you give us the courage to believe? To live convicted, to live convinced, to live by your spirit in every circumstance, in every day, in every hour, in every minute and in every second. Not just on a Sunday morning or during an activate group or during youth, but God, that in every moment of every day, we would embody what it means to be a son and a daughter that lives by your spirit and your spirit alone. God, give us the eyes to see Give us the ears to hear. Not for the service of ourselves, but for the advancement of your kingdom. God, and together as a body, as a people standing united, God, we give you our yes. And we ask that your spirit would fill us that you would fill us with your power, with your might. God, that you would awaken in our hearts greater depths of love and adoration towards you. And that, Father, you would 
uh, lead us and empower us to become a revolution of love. Not just a slogan, not just a cool saying, but a marking point of who we are as a people. God, would you do it in me? Would you do it in us? Let us become a revolution of love. Let us become a people determined and devoted to live by your spirit. Let it be so. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.